Hello, you're listening to the Navigating Freedom Podcast, and I'm your host, The Real Nomad. And today we'll be dropping in on the sweet voice of Lisa Strong, Matt, and Rock, as Rock discusses his pain, dysfunction, and ultimate triumph over the justice system. As compelling as Rock's story may be, it is not uncommon for those who are trapped in the California prison system to experience this. Imagine exiting prison after doing 20 years or more. Now there's space tourism, electric cars, and weed revenue is funding schools in Colorado. It's a different world, but the same problems are there if you don't have money, community, or support. The Uncut Project has recognized a need within our community to make those formerly incarcerated whole again by providing basic resources like helping them get an ID or setting up cell phones or other aspects of everyday life. As one previously incarcerated man put it, getting out isn't the finish line, it's the starting line. Help us help those starting over. Go to theuncuffedproject.org to support and learn more. Thank you, Lisa. That's Lisa from The Uncuffed Project. I was meeting up with George Rock Davis and Lisa at the Ferry Building in San Francisco. When I came up here and I was like, what a minute, picturing Gandhi and like water and ships. I, I think <laughs> after that, I came up here like every day for a month straight. Rock was one of the first people the Uncuffed Project helped. Lisa and Rock became friends. This spot is where they would meet. After she and she, I called, where you at? I'm at the ferry building. You can hear the clock in the background and the seagulls. Yeah. And so um, I found it very therapeutic. I normally sit um, right over where the ferries are boarding down there mm. so I could watch them come in and out. So uh, I guess I like the water. <laughs> Also, like many people we've interviewed, Rock had a hard time getting approved by the parole board. So the thing about it is that, so I went to the board um, four times before I got found suitable. What about the the first time? The very first time I went to the board? Yeah. How were you feeling that time? Uh, To be honest, it was the very first time that I was scheduled for board, I didn't go. Um, I was still in my dysfunction. And um, I heard so many stories on the yard about, um, I don't know, just... Useless. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't really matter if you go, right? Um, so I went in, I had 25 to life, right? And I'm walking around the yard with guys who had seven to life who were still there. I just really didn't expect to go in there and get it, so I just didn't even attend. Wow. Yeah. That blows me away. I mean, I understand going in and not having high hopes. All right. So it was a different time back then. Pete Wilson was governor at that time, and he had already came out with the statement that no lifer was ever getting out on his watch. I didn't find that particular statement, but here's a similar one. Governor Wilson is referring to a 1995 bill he signed into law that authorized, along with a three strikes law that increased 25 to life sentences, the use of the death penalty. This bill sends an unmistakable message to gangbangers. If you take someone's life while committing a cowardly carjacking, you can expect to pay for your crime with your own life. This ends up being fairly similar to what Rock got put in for. Um, I didn't know about that. That's a big statement to make. Yeah, he publicly said that. Yeah, but I didn't go for my first one. So, um, 
the second one I actually ended up attending um, and finding out that um, you really have to be the judge for yourself. It actually wasn't a bad experience. Even though I didn't get found suitable, they listed all of the things that I would probably have to do in order to be found suitable. Um, but at that time, I was still in my dysfunction, halfway in, halfway out. And so um, I was playing the game. And so um, it didn't work. Second time didn't work. Third time, I really tried to apply myself, but they feared, they felt like I needed to um, have more insight. At first, I really didn't know what that meant, right? It's kind of vague, um, but that wasn't what they were looking for. What they wanted to know was um, like about my childhood. which I never really had explained because in my mindset, um, I was loved, right? My, I felt like my family wasn't dysfunctional. Um, I felt like they did the best that they could and I wasn't gonna put them down in order to get out, which is what I felt they wanted me to do. Well, I was very impressionable. I watched everything they did, right? Um, and I thought they were everything that a man was supposed to be. And uh, so I tried to follow in their footsteps, not knowing half of what went with those footsteps there. So it's a little tiny guy. That's a little tiny guy, uh, yeah. And so um, they had certain expectations. We talked a little bit about men don't cry, you know, promoting me to fight, right? I remember, I'll give you a story. Uh, maybe I was like eight or something. I was at school and guys would take my money, right? And I ran home and I was jumping over fences and doing all this little athletic stuff to get home. <laughs> right, and I, I burst through the door not knowing that my father and my uncle were home. And I'm tired and I'm laying on, on the carpet. It's like, man, what's wrong with you? And so I'm very proud of the athleticism that I portray, right? Man, these guys took my money and I ran and I, I zigzagged, I jumped over this gate and I did all this, right? <laughs> the movies. And I, the look on their face. Like, man, if you don't take your, and I looked out the window, the guys are still out there, right? And if you don't go back out there, man, and, and fight, man, you're gonna either fight them or me. I'm like, what? So sure enough, uh, I went back out there and they made me fight them one by one. All right, um, so I learned at an early age fight. how to fight. I never went without a Christmas. I never went without clothes on my back. I never went without a place to live. Um, so I really didn't understand the dysfunction to, I guess, the level that they thought I should in order to explain my story. And so they denied me for lack of insight. Fourth one, you finally... So the fourth one, um, I actually um, went and got help. So um, I was still in my dysfunction in a lot of ways. So I was trying to do better, but I, I really didn't grasped the whole totality of it all. And um, so one of the things that was the motivator was the restorative justice program. You sit there and you listen. Uh, the, the ladies were very powerful. And when I say powerful, I don't mean physically like big, overpowering, just because they were little old ladies. But they were powerful in the way that they told their story. And um, one lady in particular. And she wasn't just some 
random lady who wanted to help you. Uh, what was her story? I can't remember the details. So her story was pretty graphic. So she had two sons. Uh, her younger son was disabled. Her older son was not. He was like the protector of the younger brother. So what had happened with him is that he had went out to a club uh, with some of his friends. The story Rock heard, the story from the restorative justice program, was similar to his own crime. Sorry, and I, I hate to define you by your crime, but um, what happened? I can't remember. So what what happened was, I was at the time I was 18 years old, and um, I was at a party. We were playing a game called Quarters. I don't know if you know what that is. People choose the drink. Quarters into... <laughs> right, and so we ran out of alcohol, and so um, it was decided that three of us would go to the store to get alcohol. The woman's son's story? He had stepped on some guy's shoes or bumped into some guy or something, and he apologized, but um, the guy offhandedly said, oh, you're going to pay for that or whatever. And he didn't think anything of it, like, well, forget it. Back to Rock's story? This is before cell phones, so it was phone booths. The person whose car we tried to take was at a phone booth, and their car was open. And, And so me thinking I'm fast and I'm athletic, I thought, you know what? The car's open, I'm just going <laughs> to jump in and take off. The woman's son? Stay partying in the club or whatever. And um, at the end of the night, he's getting ready to come home because he has a lot of responsibilities. That was his way of blowing off steam. The guy was waiting on him outside the club. Back to rock story. But to my surprise, I jumped in, but the keys weren't in there, even though the car was on. And so he turns around, he's like, man, what are you doing? Right? And here's how the woman's son died. He tried to avoid it, um, but the guy ended up shooting and killing him. And here's how Rock killed someone. Um, the fellas are there, my pride's in the way. It's like I can't back down, wanting to be tough. I puffed up, what do you think I'm doing? I pulled out a gun, so um, grabbed it. Struggled, the gun went off, ended up getting shot right in the lower abdomen and dying. And both alcohol was involved, both challenges of honor, both at a young age, both done with a gun. Even after the ordeal, after she went through everything, right, she ended up meeting the guy who killed her son um, and actually forming a relationship with him. I just thought that was just, are you serious? Yeah. Like, who who does that? Well, like, um, the, um, when I hear the story, I feel like it's you understanding that you're, it's capable for you to like receive forgiveness. Honestly, I found it to be unbelievable. I didn't think anybody could have that type of capacity, right? Um, and so, like I say, a powerful lady. But yeah, I had always sought remorse. Mm-hmm. to be remorseful and, and, and but being around that that type of presence awakens you it seems that the greater the hurt the more necessary forgiveness is not just for the reformed perpetrators but the aggrieved as well and forgiving someone is so much deeper than just saying you're sorry it's about acceptance it's about how we can't go back which it's hard Navigating Freedom was created by The Uncuffed Project. 
As producers are Spoon Jackson, Damon Cook, with contributor producer Brian Mazza and help from Lisa Strong. It is edited, mixed, and music done by Matthew Schneeman. Me. To learn more about The Uncuffed Project and the work that they do, go to theuncuffedproject.org.